Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. I'm Shomak Khoshal, the books editor of Mint Lounge, and this is the Lounge Bookcast. Every week, I'm going to speak here with one author from across the world about their latest book, how they came to write it, what were their challenges and inspirations. and what does it mean to be a writer in this time this podcast is from hd smartcast india's fastest growing podcast producing platform my guest is professor chinmay tumbe who is with imm ahmedabad and most recently the author of the age of pandemics 1817 to 1920 how they shaped india and the world As the title of the book suggests, Chinmay studies a hundred-year span of time when pandemics like cholera, plague, and the influenza played havoc with India and the world, even as science and industrial revolution was changing people's lives. These devastating pandemics not only altered the course of political and economic history, but also demographic structures. This is a book that gives you the long view into the making and management of pandemics. and it is all the more pertinent for the horrific tragedy that we are witnessing in india at the moment chinmay your book documents what you call the age of pandemics over a 100 year span uh, i wanted to ask you in the beginning what are some of the common features that link the cholera plague and influenza pandemics in india historically thanks so much uh the three pandemics you know took over 70 million lives around the world of which about 40 million lives were in india uh, the first commonality is that india was the most affected country unfortunately in all three of them now with cholera of course we say it was endemic in eastern india and it kind of went out the virulent strain went out around the world from there uh, and plague was also there in india but it maybe came from outside in the late 1890s and influenza certainly came from outside but nevertheless what's really you know uh, horrifying is how india was uh, the most affected country in all three of the pandemics uh one of the reasons of this is uh the fact that india was a seriously undernourished malnourished population in this particular century uh another reason is that they were you know very very serious droughts in the late 19th and early 20th century far worse than anything we've seen in the last 50 60 years so there was also a climatic reason as to uh, what constrained food production and all of this created a perfect storm so that between 1870 and 1920 death rates in india were actually increasing over this 50 year period just as uh, it they were reducing in england and many other countries in the west so devastating pandemics unfortunately not kind of uh, uh, well known uh, we know more about the freedom movement than these pandemics cholera and uh, plague were bacteria based influenza was uh, a virus so at that time they thought influenza was a bacteria uh, the scientific knowledge on these pandemics also you know improved over time but it had to wait the early 20th century for cholera and plague and in a way they really you know created many things that we see in india today uh, so collectively if you see these three pandemics they you know they were in- instrumental in our uh, public health system in the way it was framed even something as simple as the counting how many people died in a particular year started because the british wanted to monitor cholera especially in the 1860s uh the creation of the world health organization in 1948 traces its origin to conferences that started in 1851 you know hold uh, uh, cholera the epidemic disease act that we have today 
1897, which is linked with the plague. So, you know, these three pandemics collectively uh, did have similarities in the sense that India bore the brunt of it, partly because of mismanagement, partly because of bad luck, some stuff like, you know, uh, uh, and uh, inability to produce food. And remarkably, after 1920, you know, we've never really had major pandemics. Uh, and so this one, which is uh, HIV AIDS is, of course, one, uh, but that's a very different kind of a pandemic, which goes slowly. Uh, and until COVID came, I think we had all, you know, forgotten uh, these three pandemics. One of the very important critiques in your book is of how the world and India in particular has failed to hold on to the lessons of these pandemics. And there has been a constant process of erasure and forgetting, um, some of which has been motivated by historical reasons, you know, political factors. And we are seeing a version of the tussle between political narratives and public experience play out on social media at the moment. So when you look at the present crisis from a historical lens, what do you see? You know, so when I was writing this book uh, last year, uh, my whole concern then was that we seem to have completely forgotten the age of pandemics, 1870 to 1920. And there's a lot that we can learn from that period. Stuff like what happens to migrant workers, stuff like there is always a second wave, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but, and when I, uh, you know, finished writing this book in September, October last year, uh, I, I came up with this idea of four stages of a pandemic. Uh, it starts off with denial, then there's confusion, there's acceptance and erasure. And the erasure that I had in mind was, you know, between 1918 and now. I did not know so much that you would forget, you know, so fast between, you know, uh, say October to February uh, uh, last year, where all of us, I think, collectively, the society, the government, especially the political class, you know, completely uh, uh, dropped ball, so to speak. Uh, uh, and forgot. So, so now, in fact, on in just my learning of the last six months is that forget a hundred years, we can forget even in a few months. But the fact that we had a pandemic, I think what a pandemic does is gets in a lot of fatigue, and people are desperate to get back to normal. Uh, and so there's a quick kind of uh, erasure that happens. Erasure also happens because there's no clearly identifiable enemy. So we remember more, for example, about World War One. Remember about the Jallianwala tragedy in 1919 rather than the influenza pandemic of 1918, because who do we blame, right? And so for many reasons, the fact that we are taught political history in, in schools, uh, not much of, you know, business, medical, or any other kind of history, for all these reasons, I think, you know, pandemics have uh, unfortunately slipped through the cracks of our collective memory. We have to be on guard. I think pandemics should be just like we have an army at our borders trying to protect us at any time from, you know, potential uh, military incursion. Pandemics management, I think, should be a top priority in national disaster management. It may be the fact that it happens once in a century, but as we are seeing now, you know, the, the toll it takes is much more. More people have died, I'm sure, from this now than maybe all of all our soldiers who have fought in our war since 1947. So the tail risk of this event is so great that we really, really need to invest in pandemic management. One of the other aspects in your book, which you want to touch on our experience now, is the mismanagement of facts and data. Uh, I remember reading in your book in the early chapters, you mentioned that there's very scant data available uh, to study pandemics and write about them in a very cogent manner. Um, so could you talk us through about the challenges of authenticating and finding the sources for your narrative when you wrote your book? Yeah, it's been a very challenging uh, book project. Uh, because uh, while there is official documentation, as we are now seeing, this is the British time in India, 
no official documentation also uh, could not uh, uh, be too critical of themselves. But you know, when I've gone through their reports, I am of course struck by a certain level of honesty, you know, which I unfortunately don't see today. You know, uh, I don't think the seriousness of the issue is still registered as, as we record this. Uh, uh, the influenza pandemic, they had a pre preliminary report on it uh, and the public health official actually did kind of describe very vividly, you know, what was uh, happening uh, out there. So, so it, it's a fact that while there was less maybe documentation than today, they were, I think, to some extent, even officials there had a very different style in documenting, uh, which is actually praiseworthy in, in my view. Of course, they didn't have the, the statistical systems to collect data as we have. Even there, I will say that, you know, in 1918, for instance, they were publishing all-cause mortality data on a timelier basis than we are today. And so even this thing that everything then was primitive is also maybe not but broadly from 1860s, the data kind of really starts about, you know, collecting what, why people are dying in India. Uh, and that system has held us in good stead over the next 150 years. Because from 1920, the death rates in India have fallen. You know, so this last 100 years, you know, we have been amazing because life expectancy has risen from about 20 years to about 70 years. So that's the tremendous change that has happened. And that's because of better statistics, better understanding and so on. So definitely one takeaway from that period is uh, in terms of, you know, challenge of doing research. Yes, I've had to rely on first person narratives, you know, biographies, memoirs, very non-statistical databases uh, uh, at length. Uh, and uh, a lot of this research was done in the lockdown. So I couldn't get access to uh, many of the things, which I got actually later after writing the book. Uh, newspaper articles of that time, of course, uh, are very important. Uh, but I, I do think that, you know, overall, uh, over time, uh, the documentation is a very important part to combat a pandemic because the pandemics typically don't get on a few months. They take many years, late took about two decades, the severity. And every report, if you look on hindsight, every document which came out, there were clear scientific errors that people discovered in hindsight. But it was incremental knowledge that actually finally uncovered the puzzle called plague or the puzzle called cholera. And so I think it's very important for that incremental knowledge to build up. And that's why documentation is extremely important. Right. The other thing that struck me is, uh, you know, we are seeing this surge of pro bono efforts on social media right now, uh, mass efforts to help people. Uh, is this consistent with the behavior of societies in the previous eras when there was no social media, where people mobilized to help each other? What is your experience from studying the literature on pandemics? It's a, it's a mix of both, you know, uh, if it's a localized outbreak, I would say that all the stuff that we talk about discrimination, inequality, are very starkly laid bare in a pandemic. Uh, for example, in my book, I point out that, you know, when cholera would arrive in a village, often the so-called untouchables would be blamed for getting the disease out there. So it's not the case that everyone rallied to solve cholera. It, the disease is played along the divisions existing in, in our society uh, back then. But when an epidemic did reach gigantic proportion, where suddenly people realized that, look, we are all in it together. It's not just the poor who are dying. It's also the rich who are dying. I think that's the critical aspect that suddenly, you know, everyone wakes up. And I think that's precisely the space where we are in. There also comes a point, Somak, where I think it, the kind of dependence on the public state, that is the government, snaps. Uh, and I think that is the critical point where civil society just completely comes up. And I think more than cholera and plague, uh, it, this happened during the plague uh, tremendously 
you know, cooperative efforts started. But during the influenza, I think influenza is much more similar to what we're seeing today. That was also a virus, uh, came in two waves and the second wave was very deadly. Uh, you know, when I was reading letter to the editors in a variety of newspapers between, say, they say October to December 1918, uh, after a point, it's very interesting, Sumak, the first few letters of editors, you know, in June, July, in the first wave, are all addressed, the government should do this, the government should do that. By November, at which, you know, 200,000 Indians, I've estimated, were dying on a daily basis, unbelievable numbers. The letter to the editors was saying, can we please have the Social Service League sent some members to our district? Can we please have some, you know, uh, Sabha sent to our district? So they were reaching out, just like we are today. They didn't have Twitter and WhatsApp groups. But they, had, they were reaching out to whatever medium can, saying, please help us. And they were not reaching out to the government. So clearly, you know, that this has a precedence in India where, where the state snaps. Right. That's so fascinating. Um, my last question is actually regarding building resilience and public memory. Uh, while scientists actually sort of work on developing more vaccines and drugs, uh, what should social scientists do and what do they urge people to do? Yeah, definitely, I think we have ignored, you know, uh, this particular idea of pandemics uh, for far too long. Let me go discipline by discipline, you know, let me start with economics, the discipline I'm kind of trained in. Uh, uh, as a tail risk event, you know, I, I have never encountered the word pandemics in my entire economics, about 10 years of economics education. And yet the worst year in Indian economic history on record was 1918, when the GDP fell by about 10%. You know, so uh, we learn in economics, for example, we learn about the Great Depression. In fact, we learn more about the Great Depression in the US, 1930s, than in India, right? And, you know, when I point out that, look, the worst year in Indian history, actually, in the last 120 years, 1918, in economic terms, forget the mass mortality, uh, people are saying, you know, what is 1918 and, and stuff like that. So clearly, you know, each discipline needs to confront the reality of pandemics, saying they have fundamentally altered societies at different points. I think the only pandemic which is systematically there in some sort of collective consciousness is the Black Death in 14th century Europe, where till date, you know, they learn it in their history books. People know that something terrible happened. One third of Europe was wiped out. This is a epochal, you know, moment in European history. And yet the age of pandemics, which I described, you know, has completely been forgotten. I mean, more people died out here than the wars that we fought with the British by, by a huge, huge margin. So, in economics, definitely, we need to introduce pandemics, whether it's in a course on health economics, whether it's in introducing the economic cost of, say, lockdowns versus you know, all the trade-offs that we're seeing today. Sociologists need to study about, uh, you know, what sort of uh, impact this uh, leaves in terms of inequality. I think that's a, that's a burning question. Uh, demographers, I would say, have actually studied pandemics. You know, we know a lot about our past pandemics because of demographers and about all historians. I think it's high time. You know, I, of course, I would definitely say that our you know, school schooling system should be talking about the cholera, plague and influenza pandemics. Uh, I mean, the influenza in particular, you know, because 20 million Indians dying, I think, demands as much, if not more attention than a few hundred Indians dying during the Jalanola tragedy. That is also important, but this is also very, very important. Uh, even if not in school textbooks, you know, I think medical school. You know, I think that's very, very important. I'm continuously surprised by how many doctors have never heard of, or they just heard, you know, plague happened at some point, but they never really studied it. Uh, and so definitely in medical schools, you know, history should become some sort of a compulsory, it's not a course, it has to be woven into the, the courses that they're doing so that people know that, and the thing, there are two aspects. One is a scientific aspect, that is, what is cholera? What is plague? How does it transmit itself? But 
The other part is management, pandemic management, which needs to be sensitive to migrant workers, as we saw last year and so on. And so you can't have a, I think social science has a huge role to play in conveying the essence of pandemic management. Uh, and I think medical schools in particular, you know, that should be our focus area. Thank you, Chinmay, for these answers. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you for listening in. Tell us what you think at HT Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. To listen to more podcasts, log on to www.htsmartcast.com or suno naye nazariya se. This was a Mint production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.